All right. If you will, find your, or begin finding your way back to your seat. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I know there's at least three or four of you. Uh, we just want to say welcome. We hope you'll come back and worship with us again um, sometime. And then you've got John and Patty Scherer that have moved here. Yeah, from Colorado, and we are excited to have you guys here as well. So summer, people are going on vacation, they're coming and going. You don't know who's going to be here on a weekly basis, but you guys are here today, and that is exciting. So, we're getting ready to jump back into 1 Peter. It's been a great series. We'll be finishing up 1 Peter here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, first off, I w let me just say this. Some people have been asking about surgery. I'm definitely not going to spend time here other than realizing, oh, I'm a horrible communicator. I did go to Duke. I did have surgery. It went well, and I'm, I'm fine. So there, there's that. So if you want to know more details, we can talk um, offline. Obviously, I'm fine, or I wouldn't be here, right? So there's that. Um, Sam Adams is somewhere. I don't know where he's at. He's probably with kids. He's out, out there. Man, he just did a great job. He did a really, really good job walking us through chapter four, uh, looking at suffering, especially last week when he talked about mind, heart, hands. I just thought that th that teaching was, was so good. And then you remember the three questions that he asks oftentimes. I know that he does this in community group. I know he does this at Providence, you know, as well. It's like, what does this passage teach us about God? What does this passage teach us about our own sin? sin you know capabilities and how does this passage lead us to the gospel i found myself each week as i was just reading through the scripture going back and trying to answer some of those questions so i just thought those were really really good tools uh the teacher adam uh, or sam he did a a great job of, of guiding us through that so we're getting ready to jump into um first peter five now okay and there's a little bit of a pivot, there's a little bit of a change in direction, which we'll talk about. But before we do so, I want to pray again, and I'll pray that just our distractions would be removed and that the Lord would reveal his truth to us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, for this glorious, glorious uh, book. It's been encouraging and challenging at the same time. And Father, I pray that uh, your words would speak to our hearts, that the intent that Peter had, that you had in speaking through Peter would come out and that we would better understand the message that you have for this church today. And Lord, as I almost always pray, I speak a lot of words. May what is of me fall to the ground. May what is of you and you alone remain. Jesus, you must increase and we must decrease every single day. Remove distractions from our minds. Help us to focus our attention on this particular passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's jump into it. So if you've got your worship guide, you can go there. You've got your, um, you've got your, oh, where'd it go? I've got a passage somewhere. I've got them out of, out of line. Okay, I'll come back to that one in a moment. But um, you've got your worship guide, you've got your Bible, or you've got your phone. And if you, if you don't have all those, it's right up here. So this is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. I'll read this to you guys. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight 
not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We'll walk through that step by step in a moment. But I remember when I was in my early 20s as I was thinking about this passage, and I really felt the call of God on my, on my life. So I went and, you know, said, I need to learn the Bible. So I went to Bible you know, college and just started taking classes. And, and I sought counsel from um, a lot of wise men and women and a lot of seasoned pastors. And I remember this one particular seasoned pastor and he looked me squarely in the eyes and he said to me, quote unquote, if you can see yourself doing anything else, anything else, then do not be a pastor. Why? Why would he say that? Well, I get it now. You know, in the Lord, for whatever reason, in his providence, he waited another, you know, 20-some years until this call really came to fruition in my life. But it's hard. It's taxing. It puts you squarely in the middle of spiritual warfare. It's a serious matter. It can't be taken lightly. It's not something that you just jump into because it's fun. You're just in the heat of battle. And we see that and we recognize that. There's this statistic. It's a startling statistic. 16,000 pastors leave the pastorate every single year. That's a lot. 16,000 pastors become overwhelmed, frustrated, or discouraged, and they walk away. Now remember, Sam's been talking in chapter 4 a lot about suffering. We saw in chapter 3 a lot about suffering chapter two. And over the next couple of weeks, this book is going to end with more about suffering. <clears throat> so it's been a theme. It's been one of the themes, holiness, the fact that we're exiles. You know, there's these themes that we have throughout first Peter, but suffering is a big one. So if you just look at this and you look at this passage alone, it looks like that it's suffering, 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 and then Peter's hitting pause and saying, oh, I've got this other thought too. I want to talk about eldering for a few moments and then I'll come back to suffering. Well, that's not true. We know that that's not true. So somehow suffering has to fit into this passage. So as I was delving into that and thinking about that, I actually backed up a few verses and you can look at it if you get your Bibles open. Look at chapter four, verse 17, where it says this. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And then a few verses later, he steps into elders. Peter's saying judgment begins here. It begins in the household of God. And before I even address everyone else in the congregation, I am going to specifically talk about elders and eldering. The group um, that's going through our leadership training this year, we're reading through this, this book by Paul David Tripp together. And this past week, we were discussing 
the chapter on limits, and he says this. I'll just read one paragraph. It says, in reality, when God gives you ministry and leadership gifts, he's calling you to be willing to suffer. Because of your gifts, you will suffer a kind of severity of temptation that others don't face. Because of the public nature of your gifts, you will suffer dangerous adulation and harsh criticism. The demands of your ministry life will tempt you to neglect your personal devotional life. The attractiveness of public ministry will tempt you to neglect the private, the private ministry of marriage, family, and friendship. Your gifts will tempt you to be demanding, irritable, and impatient with people of lesser gifts or who happen to be in the way of what you want. You will be tempted to confuse your giftedness with your level of spiritual maturity. Yes, it is true. Your gifts mean that you have been called to suffer for the, for the sake of the giver and what he intends to do through you. And then he points to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So I think maybe that's what Peter or Paul is actually saying in Philippians when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings because they go hand in hand. Jesus is clear about that over and over in Scripture. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on just what elders are. If you've been here long enough, we've actually had two messages where we've specifically talked about elders and deacons and what it means and, and so on and so forth. But we see the terms elders, shepherds, overseers, pastors, and even bishop used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Now, throughout church history, different denominations have taken different approaches. For example, like the, the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church, they would have elders or, or priests or whomever in these different congregations, and then they'd have a bishop that would oversee these individuals. Even in the early church, uh, you saw that a lot. So those, there's Protestant um, churches and denominations that still have uh, that model today. We see in Scripture... Um, this, this call to a plurality of elders, which means that there's more than one elder. So we don't like the idea of there's only Jerry, right? There's a lot of temptations that can come when you only have the one leader. But with this, it's more of a round table. So when you've got a Jerry and a Mike and a Sam, we work through things you know, together and we make sure that we're unanimous you know, with our decision making, and we can really prod one another. We can challenge, you know, one another. So we have at this particular church and at the churches that we're surrounding ourselves with a plurality of elders. No more on that this morning. If you have questions about that, feel free to see us or we can point you back to an earlier message. But if you want to see the qualifications for eldering, they're very specifically spelled out for us in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. Okay, this is an elder, this is a pastor, this is an overseer, or the term that we're going to see in a moment, this is what a shepherd looks like, and they must be biblically qualified. You never, never, never say, he's missing two of these requirements, but he's a really good business leader, you know, or he's really, really good at these other things, so we're going to compromise and allow him to be an elder in our church. I've seen that. And you all have probably seen that as well, and it should never, ever happen. Okay, so First uh, uh, Timothy 3, Titus 1 talks about those if you want to learn more about what it means to be an elder. So in your worship guide, I'll back up a little bit, you're going to see this. This is the only fill-in-the-blanks that you're going to have for today. 
But as we walk through this passage, what I've done is I'm giving you the outline, but then I've given you space just to take notes along the way. And that, not, that way you're not just looking for, oh, what was that word I need to fill in the fill in the blanks. So here it is. This is all in the fill in the, of, of the, fill in the blanks as we walk through 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And as you're looking at that and maybe going ahead and filling in the blanks, the intent actually was, I was going to go to Redstone Johnson City and preach on this, and the pastor there was going to come here, and we just weren't able to line up um, our calendars to make that work. They're actually ahead of us. They've actually already, already preached this one. Because it is a little bit odd to like be the elder and to be teaching and preaching on eldering, but we'll get through it. It'll be fine. So we're going to look at, first off, the role of elders. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at the readiness and example of elders. Okay, fill in the blanks. The third one is the reward of eldering well. We won't spend much time there. And then the last one, the relational posture. I'm calling it the relational posture of the elders and the church. Okay, so first off, we're going to look at the role of elders. So let's go back to verse 1 through 2a. Now let's read it again. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So here's, just make note of this. This is Peter talking. He's an apostle. He's walked with Christ at a deeper level than almost anyone other than two other men. Okay. And he's saying, yes, I'm an apostle, but I'm also an elder. I'm an overseer. I'm a shepherd. So he's saying, I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he gives this charge. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the first thing we see here in this role of an elder is the call to shepherd the flock. I could probably pull out, and you could as well, 20 or 25 passages all throughout scripture that talk about just shepherding. If you're doing CBR, community Bible reading, we saw it yesterday morning. On Saturday morning, I got up and there was Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Ezekiel 34, you can go and you can make note of these and go look at them later. But Ezekiel 34, the whole chapter is a reprimand to the shepherds of Israel who were more concerned about feeding themselves than they were about feeding God's flock. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf come, coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, which means he'll never flee. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We go to the New Testament church in Acts 20 Paul warns against these wolves that are going to come in as false teachers and penetrate the church. And it says, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So here, shepherds, overseers, pastors are used synonymously. 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Paul said, I'm establishing this church. I'm getting ready to leave, but I know that false teachers, that these wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then, of course, there's Jesus after he's ascended and he's reinstating Peter. And multiple times he says to Peter, what? What's his call to do? What's the last thing that Jesus is going to say to Peter before he ascends into heaven? He says, feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. So shepherd, so this first Peter passage is calling us to shepherd. The word used here for shepherd means to guide, help, take care of, and pastor, which is why shepherding and pastoring are often used synonymously. And why when we're looking at elders, we're looking for individuals, you know, whether that be at Redstone Johnson City or at Redeemer or you know, here, we're looking for people that really have a heart for the people, that will walk with the people, not just individuals that are able to deliver or teach the word of God. And although there may be more responsibilities, we would suggest that there are three primary functions related to shepherding. Here they are. To lead, to feed, and to protect. So in the case of the shepherds within the church, the elders are to lead, feed, and protect God's people. You know, so first, just leading. And these are just practical examples that you can see, hopefully, at Redstone Church Elizabeth in things like the table. Explaining the table, explaining Christianity in the church through the table. The community groups. Our fight for a simple church where you're not at church Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and Thursday night. You're, you're, it's not consuming you, but you're living out your faith with your family and with your neighbors and, and at the workplace. So we really are fighting for simple church. That's a part of the leadership. Having an emphasis on relational, gospel-centered discipleship. The culture of Sunday mornings. The, the, the idea of, of receiving feedback from the congregation, which we do probably 80% of the time on Sunday Sunday mornings after we speak the word of God. The idea of bringing on a ministry intern like an Adam Stein to help us with discipleship. Our attempts to establish a gospel-centered culture stripped of unnecessary man-made traditions and religious you know, traditions that often find their way into the church that are not life-giving or sometimes not even gospel-centered. And trying to develop a church that's full of transparency, gospel relationships that we just are, are trying to see established over and over. Those are the kinds of things, hopefully, hopefully that we're not blind to. We're not thinking these things are happening, but hopefully these are the kinds of things that we're leading this church into on a regular basis. And as was the case in the New Testament, whether it be the church of Philippi or Galatia or whomever, all of the churches took on different personalities. You know, if you go to Revelations and you see the seven churches, they look different. You can even see it here. We were birthed 
Johnson City was birthed out of Redeemer. Redeemer was birthed out of, you know, Grace Fellowship, you know, and then we were birthed out of Redstone Johnson City. And all of these churches have a, a different culture about them. The worship is going to look different. The teaching is going to look different. The community groups are going to look different. So we, we see a specific culture that here, and we're just trying to be obedient to the way that the Lord, we believe that the Lord is calling us to lead this particular church. But if you left here, and if you went to Redstone Johnson City next week, you're going to see a lot of similarities. You're going to hear a lot of the same language, gospel-centeredness, transparency, the table, those kinds of things. But it's going to look a lot different. And it's going to look differently throughout the week as well. And I believe it's also, scripturally, the duty of the flock that you guys to actually pray for us as we lead. Look at this passage in Hebrews 13, 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know that we take leading very seriously, and that's one of the reasons we desire your prayers as we do so. So the second role is feed. So we lead and then we feed. And of course, we take that very seriously as well. We love going through books of the Bible. We love going verse by verse because we do believe that the primary thing that this flock needs to be able to grow is the truths of the word of God. Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. And he says, your word is truth. It's the truth of the word of God that sanctifies us, sets us apart, makes us holy, and helps us to be able to live holy lives in this world. So this is why we love expository teaching. Instead of just entertaining you or sharing inspirational stories or what have you, we try to go back and say, what does the word of God say? What did it mean to the, to the recipients then? And how does that apply to us and what word does he have for us today so we want you and us to feed on the word of god but i admit to you that the teaching part is not easy you know it's hard it may be easier for some people but it's not easy for me and, and, it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a difficult thing to to jump into the word of god and try to figure out what it says and, and, and sometimes we do better with that and, you know, maybe than we do on other days. But James 3, 1 says this, and we feel the weight of this. It says, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Thus, the comment from my pastor friend who says, if you can do anything else, you should do it. Because if you're going to teach the word of God, you will be judged more strictly for that. So we do feel the weight of that. And look at what this Hebrew passage says again. It says that as shepherds, one of the tasks that we are given, do you see it in there? Is watching over your souls? Gulp? I mean, what exactly does that even mean? We need 20 ministry interns, you know? There's so much work that needs to be done there. So we do take the leading and the feeding very seriously because that's what Jesus has called us to. Feed my sheep. So yes, we are to lead and to feed, but there's one more. Remember, he says that, or I say, that we are in Scripture 
points to the fact that we are to protect the flock, flock, to protect the flock. That's part of our responsibility, and leading is not easy, teaching is not easy, but neither is protecting, because there's lots of voices out there, lots of opinions, false doctrine. Paul says, oh, it's going to come after I leave. I know that it's coming, and it can easily find its way into the church if we're not careful. So scripture warns the elders to watch out, to be on guard, to pay attention because these things are going to come in. Here's a couple of passages for you. So I don't know if you can see this back in the back, but just listen to these. So Matthew 7, 15 says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In sheep's clothing, they look like Christians. They look like people that we should follow, but the truth of the matter is they are wolves. 2 Peter 2, 2, which we'll get to in the fall, says, but false prophets also rose among the people, not from the outside, but it's like this. It's like you guys are sitting here and we're hearing the word of God and someone rises up from amongst you to secretly bring in destructive heresies from within the church. That's a little scary, a little disconcerting for an elder. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And I'm seeing that on a weekly basis. Well, I mean, but I don't feel that way. I don't agree with that. So I'm going to go over here because these people are going to teach in a way that's more consistent with what I feel, even though what I feel is clearly contrary to what the word of God teaches. But that's what we're doing. Being a part of a congregation doesn't mean anything anymore because I can just leave and go somewhere else because you take the Bible way too serious, right? And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So the elders have to be on guard to protect the church so that these heresies and false doctrines don't creep in and destroy what Jesus is trying to do here or entice others. So for example, if we see an action taken or a teaching being given that we feel is contrary to sound Christian orthodoxy, then we are actually charged to step into that conversation as a way to protect the flock. And we have, and we will, but we do pray that when that happens, that it's always done in a spirit of humility and gentleness, which will be covered a little bit later in the passage. So in an attempt to protect, the charge for us is determining this, which can be a little bit tricky, what do we step into as a part of protecting and what do we not? Do we step into everything? Well, that can be tricky. So I have my own loose categories for this, which is just a way to help me, Sam, Mike, determine do we get involved in this or do we not? We have to use wisdom and discernment. So there's, there's closed handed things such as sound orthodoxy being, I'm going to give you an example and I'll walk you through this in a moment. 
but is Jesus the only way that someone can be saved? And if someone says, well, actually, I think that there's a couple of different ways, well, that's close-handed, right? We have to step into that. If you're going to teach that there's another way that someone can be saved apart from Christ and his gospel, you know, you're really going to hate this church, and we really are going to have to sit down and talk with you. So that's, that's close-handed. Um, and then there's open-handed, and an open-handed things are things that's like, you know, Christians have disagreed on these things for over, over the centuries, and we're not necessarily adopting a specific position, so you can have, you know, individuals that have, and we do have this, by the way, we have a lot of this in this body, where people have different opinions about different things, different doctrines, different positions, what have you, but they agree on sound orthodoxy. Those are open-handed. Love to have those discussions. Those are a lot of fun sometimes, right? And we dig in and we try to figure out what the scripture says. Um, but it's not close-handed. Like, we're not going to fight over it. You know, maybe I'll change my position in time. But it's open-handed. We can still come together and worship and, and be in community group, group together and, and drink coffee together, even though we actually have a, a disagreement on this particular thing. Okay, does that make sense? So... Four categories. The first one, which is definitely close-handed, sound orthodoxy of Christianity, such as, I've listed like the five solas of the Reformation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's atonement alone, as revealed in scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. So those are the five solas that were presented at the time of the Protestant Reformation. Things like the Bible is the word of God, salvation is only through Christ, Salvation is by grace through faith. The miracles that are recorded in the Bible are real. Jesus really did die. He really did raise from the grave and he is coming back. Okay, so that's kind of like category one, no brainer. Absolutely, if something's being taught contrary to that, we have a responsibility to protect the flock and to step in. Category two is a little bit different. Specific teaching, teachings and beliefs held by Redstone Elizabeth. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So we don't believe in paedo-baptism, okay? And it, it doesn't mean that someone can, you know, believe that and not be able to attend here, but it means we're not going to baptize infants. So if someone says, well, we really want you to baptize our baby, well, we're not going to do that. Because we look at that and say, doctrinally, we think that you actually have to come to faith before you can be baptized. Okay. Now, if you say, well, I was, you know, baptized as an infant, do I have to be baptized again? Well, that's a, that's a different conversation. And that's going to be your own conscience that determines that, but we're definitely going to kind of walk you through the word of God and say, this is why we have this particular belief. But if someone's teaching contrary to that, we actually have to step into it. I'm spending more time on that than I should. We do believe that Jesus's atonement was powerful, right? But we're going to fight against, um, you know, the, the health, the wealth, you know, prosperity gospel. We don't think it's biblical at all. How many of us know Christians that still get sick, but also how many of us would say that there are individuals that look at us and say, well, you just don't have enough faith because Jesus' atonement took care of all of that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. I think it was an eye issue. And I think I can show that probably in scripture. I know Timothy had a stomach issue, and there's other issues that you can still see. So we're going to say, if you come in, and if you're leading a community group, and if you're telling people that they don't have enough faith that they're sick, that's a close-handed issue, and we're going to have to protect the flock by having that conversation. Gosh, I've got a lot more listed. I'm going to skip over them. 
we believe, I'll give you one more example, we believe in a literal six, 24-hour day creation, right? I know that there's individuals in this church that are like, I don't really care about that. That's not that important to me. That's fine. You can still come worship here, but just know if we're teaching or if you're going to be, um, if you're going to be a community group leader, you have to understand this is the position that we hold. Does that make sense? So there are certain things that are closed-handed and certain things that are open-handed. I'm really fast-forwarding on like five other examples that I have. Okay, so category three would be things like choices that we make where other churches don't. You know, how we choose to baptize, how often we take communion. People would be, you know, that might disagree with us. Um, I didn't preach last week, but last week I wore shorts, I think for the first time ever in my life, because we had a picnic afterward, right? And I, we, had, we had this conversation beforehand. It was like, oh my gosh. And the church that I grew up in, if you wore shirts, you, shorts, you would be excommunicated, right? You can't do those things. So people are going to have differences of opinion. Like my mom's probably really frustrated. I hope she's not watching that I'm not wearing a tie this morning, right? So those are the kinds of things where we're going, like, yeah, but. So it's open-handed for us. Um, we would actually say, and some people might get frustrated with this, but we would say the views on eschatology. You know, there's, you know, pre-mill, pre-trib, there's, you know, on-mill and there's post-mill. And in this congregation, we have people in each one of those camps. And they are very, very passionate about their position. And as elders, we're like, okay, that's open-handed. We can come together, we can worship together, but we're not going to adopt a particular position, at least not at this point in time. That could change in the future. Another example, this is category four would be the music style. How many people we put in community groups, whether we should meet um, in the entrance, which we met at, a, you know, people love, some people loved it out there versus meeting into the gym. Well, who cares? You know, at the end of the day, that's not something that we're going to waste our energy really getting involved. We don't have to protect the flock because everybody has to agree that the gymnasium was the best place for us to worship, right? That makes no sense. And now I'm being a little extracurricular, you know, with that. But the point is there's close handed things you got to fight for, right? You got you to protect the flock. And there's other things we can disagree on, but we can still love one another and we can still have fellowship. Now, here's the caveat of that. There are some things that you might look at and you may say, you called that a category three or a four, but to me, it's a one or a two. Well, okay. Well, now we got a problem. Because if we're saying it's open-handed and you're saying that it's close-handed, you know, either you have to show us clearly in scripture that we're wrong and this needs to be a category one or two thing and that we really do need to protect the flock or else you're probably in the wrong church because you're going to be constantly frustrated that we don't take this matter or this doctrine as serious as you do. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the wisdom principles of how we're trying to uh, protect the flock. Okay, let's go back to the passage because I'm going to get off on some rabbit trails if we don't. So the role of elders says, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And he says, exercising oversight. So I believe that all of this, this leading and this feeding and this protecting is all a part of the exercising oversight. And I'm actually a little bit stressed just thinking about it all, just to be honest with you, you know, because there's a lot that's there. Okay. So let's just look at the summary. So role of elders, shepherd and exercise oversight. How do we do that? We lead, we feed, and we protect. Are you tracking with me? Does all that make sense? Okay. So that's the first part under the role of elders. Okay. So now notice in verse number two, that he also speaks of that 
is among you, okay? So look at this. Shepherd the flock of God, that is among you. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, um, but it is why we do push for membership. You know, you probably won't see, you know, a command for membership in Scripture, but you do see that there were individuals that were sitting under specific elders, Okay, you do see situations where um, there was accountability to a particular body, you know, or there was um, an excommunication, expel the immoral brother. There was a lot that happened. So there's a lot of assumptions that these people were actually committed to this particular body. We've got a couple of really good articles we can send you know, to you, you know, on that. But we do push for the membership. Right, but it's not because it's like we're going to bring you up front. We're going to introduce. Here's the clunches. They're joining the church, and everybody welcome them. I think we've all experienced that, and that's fine. But that's not the way we do it. It's really just because we're assigning elders to specific individuals in the church, and you're saying, "No, I'm actually committing to this body. This is a Sunday morning. I'm going to try to attend as often as I can." I'm going to jump into discipleship relationships. I'm going to use my giftedness, you know, for this particular body or try to find out what my giftings are. This is my church, right? And because of that, we're going to hold you accountable to that. And, and if you're like, I'm coming and I'm going and I'm coming and I'm going, right? It's really, really hard to sit down and even have a serious conversation about protecting the flock when you're like, this is not my church anyway. So we really do push for uh, membership. And we do think that it's why, you know, Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, we really do say this is the body that is among you that we think that the Lord is calling us to prepare messages for, okay? So, and if you're saying this is the body that I'm a part of, you need to know this and hear this and understand this and accept this. Jerry, Sam, and Mike are no Francis Chan, David Platt, David Jeremiah, John MacArthur, Matt Chandler, or anybody else that you could throw into that list. Amazing Bible teachers, that ain't us, right? But you're our flock, and we're doing our level-headed best to lead and to feed and to protect you. So do not just be a part of our body, but get your primary teaching from those individuals. Learn from them grow from them, listen to their messages, but make sure that you're here as often as you can be on Sunday morning to see what the Spirit of God is doing amongst this particular body as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm seeing it. I see it a lot. And people are like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not really in church right now, but man, I listen to Chandler a lot. He's so good. Well, you know what? He's, he should be preparing his messages for his specific flock. In Texas, not Tennessee. John MacArthur in California. It's a different culture. They're dealing with things that we're not dealing with here. here so it's going to look a little bit different. The Lord's going to, he's going to just guide them and direct their speaking in a way that he probably wouldn't if he were in East Tennessee and Elizabethan. So we have to take all of those things into consideration. And I've already said it, but we are taking everyone who is calling Redstone your church and we're assigning you to an elder we probably need to make sure that we communicate that better than we have but no if you're if this is your church we're praying for you on a regular basis um, by name okay now going back to the outline and to the worship guide let's keep on going the readiness was part two of our outline so now let's look at the readiness and an example of elders this is verses 2b through 3 let me read it to you 
not under compulsion, this shepherding, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So this is, this is the readiness and the example, okay? Let's read it again, but I'm going to give you some words to pay attention to this time, okay? Look at the nots and the buts, okay? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's helpful, isn't it? Not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. So breaking that down, it kind of looks, you know, like this. And I've, I've got a lot more words here because I want to give you some meanings. So not under compulsion. So I looked up each one of these words and tried to find out what they meant in the Greek. And here's the, the, the answer. Forced to lead out of obligation only. So there's your meaning. So, well, you're on my list. So I guess I should pray for you. I mean, Redstone Church is my church, you know, but man, I'd love to have a different congregation. Well, that's not good. That's not what the attitude that you want. But willingly, meaning voluntarily, purposefully, deliberately, and intentionally. Examples of what willingly might look like. Shepherding with joy, with lots of energy, with creative ideas, with the desire to actually know your sheep to get to know the people in the church. I think those are examples of what willingly looks like. The second one, he says, not eldering for shameful gain. The meaning here is greedily or for dishonest gain, okay? Personal agenda, financial gain. I'm just in it for the money. I am just in it for the money. Y'all just need to know that. Um, this is a step to a better position or another church. This is exactly what Ezekiel 34 warns against. You're more concerned with feeding yourself than you are with feeding my sheep. That was the reprimand, okay? So no, that's not what it should look like, but eagerly, and the meaning is ready and eager. Eagerly means eager. It's, that's not fair. They're just struggling with trying to find a better word, okay? This is, you know, Isaiah, send me, Lord, I'll go. Let me lead them. You know, I really desire to spend time with this particular flock, and I'm burdened for them. When they rejoice, I rejoice, but when they hurt, I really hurt as well. Those should be characteristics of your shepherds. The next not, not being domineering as an elder or as an elder team, meaning exercising dominion or ruling over. Now, when I read that, it makes me think about cults and dictators and when the church leaders talk down to the congregation in ways that the leaders and i pray that that's not us and it won't be but if it is we need to know it you know have forgotten the depths to which the lord has rescued us in second corinthians paul talks about this authority that god has given him for the church and he says some really really hard things to the church at corinth and he says, but this authority that God has given me to you is for building you up, not tearing you down or lording it over you. So there is an authority that's there. 
when the Lord calls shepherds, but the authority is to build up, not to be domineering. And he says, but as elders be examples. The meaning of examples here is type, pattern, model, or mark. So the call is for elders to be examples of Jesus' fellowship. Paul even says it this way, which is a pretty bold statement. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Examples of how and where elders can do this and should do this. Well, let's just start with love, spiritual disciplines, prayer, being in the word, fasting, grace, the choice to forgive when sinned against or, you know, offended, faith, gospel application, gospel boldness, and there's many more that could be listed. So if you look at your elders and you're like, I don't know, they seem like they're more on the left side than the right side to me. Well, that's a problem because if we're under the knots, then you all need to lovingly, two or more, come to us and let us know that because that's not proper shepherding. That's not proper eldering. Okay, back to our passage because I'm speaking a lot. Okay, so the third in our outline is the reward of eldering well. I'm not spending a lot of time on this one, really just for the sake of time. And it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's this amazing passage. It's, it's 1 John 28 and following. And it talks about the fact that Jesus is returning and he's saying, live in such a way that when he returns, you will be confident. You won't be ashamed, you know, at his coming. So there is this, this desire that the Lord would look at those that elder well, lead well, teach well, feed well, protect well, all of those things, and say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That the, the goal truly is for these elders, more than anything else, to make Jesus and his gospel known to other people. That's what the call is. And whatever crowns that come our way as elders, as shepherds, as community group leaders, as deacons, as, as you know, men and women of faith that are out in this world and you get some, some crown that, that we receive, what do we do with those? We see it in Revelation. We throw them to the foot of the, of, of the throne of God and we worship him. Because the truth of the matter is we're nothing apart from him. We can't elder apart from the grace and the faith and the strength and the wisdom that he actually gives to us. Okay, so lastly, let's discuss the fourth point in our outline to which he's called us to, and then I'll close after that. So let's look at this passage. It says, and this is the relational posture of the elders and the church, the relational postures. He says, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So within this passage, there's a call for the younger people in the church, probably by age, by the way, um, in looking at this and reading commentaries, I don't think it's talking about those are, that are spiritual youth, that they're just young in the faith, but I, this is more of an age thing. But they need to have spiritual leaders that they can look up to, to be challenged by. 
and we need to be willing to speak into the lives of those young men and young women and to remind them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in the way that they honor their parents and honor their teachers and their coaches and that they, on a regular basis, they say no to ungodliness and yes to holiness and the gospel, okay? But then to all of us, you know, he is saying to everyone in the church, you know, that we are to walk with humility toward one another. That's just not to the youth. That's to all of us. We have to walk in humility with one another. When we were being sent by Redstone Johnson City, it was, I don't remember the year. I should know the year. Sam, somebody help me with the year. What are we, 2022? So that would have been 2019. Is that right? And we were, 2020, we were being sent out January of 2020. And Sam and I were up front and um, we came here, had our first meeting on, the Jan on January the 12th. But on the 5th, it was, let's send them out. They laid their hands on us and they prayed for us. And then they put a microphone in front of us, which we didn't know they were going to do. And they said, and how can we pray for you guys as leaders, as elders, as you step into Redstone Elizabethan? And the answer was like, there's just one thing. Pray that we will lead with humility. That we will lead with humility. That's, the, that's the, the prayer request that's still there. Man, it's an easy thing to be an arrogant leader. It's an easy thing to think that you know more than somebody else. It's such an easy thing to, you know, to have this condescending, like looking down on people kind of an attitude or think that you've arrived. It's such an easy thing to forget that we were nothing. We were in the pit and Jesus himself reached down and he stooped down and he pulled us out. It's only by his grace that we are anything. Paul recognized this and he says, I am the chief of all sinners. And if your elders forget that, then they won't lead well, they won't feed well, and they will not protect well. And you'll hear more of the humility next week, so make sure you're here next week. It's going to be a good Sunday. Um, but as we bring this message today to a close... Remember what I said at the beginning, that the topic of eldering isn't just inserted into some suffering passages accidentally. No, not at all. Rather, suffering is and will always be a part of eldering. And the suffering of an elder will come from different sources. These are just a couple that I've listed. Number one, the enemy himself he will and he does attack us and he will and he does attack our families as well. It stinks. I hate it. I see it, but it happens. Number two, the state or the government. We may not see that as much yet here in America, but in other parts of the world, this is the norm. And you may be cast into jail. You may be beaten you may be killed for your faith as a leader of God's church. Number three, just the arena of public opinion outside of the church, which we could spend more time there and I won't. Number four, from within the church, from the flock themselves via criticisms, complaints, or maybe even, and I get this from some of my pastor friends that are really hurting right now, when and how people leave the church that they've invested in, that they've loved, that they've discipled, that they've walked with, and then all of a sudden one day they're no longer a part of the church. It's like, well, what happened? They just left? 
I love these people, and they just left. There's real pain that can come from that. There's, it, there's a type of a suffering that can come you know, from that as well. And there's, there's more. But the enemy will use anything he can to discourage, to break down, you know, to, to keep elders from being effective in their call to shepherd. And we must not be people as leaders that retaliate or feel the need that we have to defend ourselves when these criticisms come. Just as Jesus did, we have to be willing to turn the other cheek. It's to your glory to overlook an offense, to endure sufferings, and to entrust yourself, yourself to the chief, the chief faithful shepherd himself. And all of that sounds really, really good, but it's really not that easy. Because in our flesh, we really have walls that come up and we want to defend ourselves. Thus the need for humility. But suffering will come in various forms as we attempt to do what God has called us to do. But here's the thing, and please lovingly hear this as I bring today's message to a close. This is what the Lord has called us to. We want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. But you can help us in this endeavor, and I'm only going to list a couple of ways. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is the one you write down, okay? You need to pray for us daily. I implore you to pray for your elders daily. We need that prayer. Number two, pray for our families too. I, I can spend the next hour just on there if I wanted to just seeing the suffering that's come, you know, within the family unit for me and others. Real pain, real attacks. It's like, okay, Jesus, I've said that I'll follow you no matter what, no matter what the cost is. And we have to be willing to do that, but we need prayer for our families as well. Number three, give us room to fall down and to fail from time to time. A little bit of grace there. Jesus did that. He gave it to his disciples. Think of Peter. Think of Thomas. Or I think of Paul, who was really hard on John Mark. But then later, as he matured, he probably realized that he was harder on him. Or there was Peter, who was definitely, theologically, with his doctrine, not being a good example and he even led Barnabas and others astray, and Paul had to rebuke him. That will probably happen here as well. Giving room and allowing us to, to fall down, that does not include making critical mistakes with close-handed, sound orthodoxy positions. You don't overlook this. If your elders are not teaching sound orthodoxy, they don't need to be eldering or you need to find another church. So no excuse there. If we say something that's heretical, you better call us on it and we need to repent or we need to leave. But in other things, as we lead, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do some really dumb things. Trust me, we laugh about these in staff meeting. Jerry has some really dumb ideas. Maddie Foster loves to call me out on those. 
okay? So some of the things that we do and the things that we try, they may not be the greatest, but just give us some grace there, if you will. Remember that perfection died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And the Lord's not calling us to perfection, but to be faithful. And then number four would just be come to us and instead of going to others, if you see a quadrant one or two issue or something to you that's critically important, just come to us and talk to us. But if you do find that we're not in agreement and we're saying, this is who we are, this is where we're going, and this is really important to you, but we're not making it um, a category one and number two in our church, you may find yourself that you have to leave and that's okay. But if you remain, you gotta love your elders. Sorry, you're required to. You gotta pray for your elders. And you've got to find a way to lovingly submit yourself to the leadership of the elders here as well. I do love this church, and you all know that. And your elders love this church too. I mean, these guys are solid. They've got solid families. They love the Lord. The staff loves this church. They love the Lord. Seeing you all weekly is truly one of the highlights of my week. And if you don't believe that, just ask my family. They'll tell you that it's true. God is doing a great work here. But, but we must remain on guard because the enemy truly hates what we're doing. He hates it. And as elders, some days are hard. Some days are harder. Some days are just joy. Some seasons are hard. And some seasons are just full of joy. But we do desperately desire, need, and covet the prayers of the flock on a regular basis. This is why I wanted Spencer to be able to come in and teach this as well, because it's harder coming from one of your elders. I do think that this is a timely passage, though, because we are going away on an elder retreat this week. So we're going to be going, and we're going to be seeking the Lord, and we've got a pretty intense agenda and there's things that we've been asking the Lord and we've been praying about and we've been discussing and we're hoping that we walk away from this elder retreat with a little bit more clarity as to what the Lord might be doing at Redstone Elizabethan with potential future church plants and just other things. So do pray for us as we move forward that we will lead, feed, and protect and shepherd eagerly and always with humility. Let's pray together. Father, I warned my other elders that I had eight pages of notes and there was a lot to say with this passage, Lord, but I thank you for the passage. Thank you for the call. Protect us from wolves. Help us all to walk in humility with one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Are you okay if we don't pass the mic today? Because you might get the mic and say, what you guys just talked about there, you all really are terrible at it. I can't handle that. So not really, but really just for the sake of time and let's step into a time of worship together. I really would love to pass the mic, but I've gone a little bit long today and I know we've got parents and kids. So let's spend our time uh, as we end today, just worshiping the Lord together and reminding ourselves of the gospel and his glorious call in our lives. Let me pray with you one more time. God, receive our worship as we stand and worship you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.